Hello, all you Covey reinventors. This is Leslie Jane Seymour, and I have a really interesting reinventor for you today. How about going from banking to published author? Rebecca Warner is just one such person, and I know there are a lot of bankers out there going, I can't take this one more day, or I'm so bored, I need to do something with my creative side. And this is for you because look, banking's an amazing, amazing career choice. No, it may not be a thousand times fulfilling in the creative area, but what Rebecca will tell you is it provided the ground for her in order to retire early. She says she retired, I think at 34, oh my goodness, and then launch her, her creative career. And then what she's gone on to do from there, she she wrote a book while she was in banking that um, was political in nature and nobody bought it. And then she, when she left, she decided she's going to really work on uh, on her bank on her banking on her writing. And um, she ended up taking a detour through taking care of parents who were having all kinds of dementia issues, health issues taking care of her mother first, very deeply taking in the care de- caretaking area, and then her father. And eventually what she ended up writing was a novel about her dad, which is just out now, which is called My Dad, My Dog. And But in the meantime, she has become a huge advocate for caregivers, for people who are taking care of their parents, taking care of anybody. And of course, nobody's getting paid in general if you're part of the family. And she knows an awful lot about this. And she also knows an awful lot about um, what the issues are. And I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Rebecca Warner. And here she is. Welcome, Rebecca. So glad to have you here. Thank you so much for having me, Leslie. It's really an honor. I enjoy your show so much. Awesome. Well, I love the fact that you were a banker and now you are a writer, which I love. And your new book is My Dad, My Dog, which we'll talk about later on. But I mean, I can tell you how many bankers listen to this podcast and are thinking, I can't do one more day of this, or Um. I need to be creative, or this is not really working for my lifestyle. So for talking to Covey Clubbers about this. It's my pleasure. Um, Yes, I did go from being a banker to a writer, but my first love from very early, and most writers you talk to are going to tell you that they always thought they wanted to be a writer. And uh, they knew they could write. And I went through all of that and took all the courses and really loved it and thought I would end up being an English teacher uh, because I love the English language and writing so much. But um, in high school, I shifted gears because I started taking business courses like typing and shorthand. And that led to my getting a job uh, at the local community college. And uh, so I was just taking core courses there and I started working for the head of economics department who said to me, and this is where these these twists in the road, these things that come into your life or in your path change your projection. And his, he was the person who did that because he said, I had such a head for numbers and economics. Why in the world would I waste that on becoming a teacher? 
unless I wanted to be a business education teacher. So I decided to major in business education at Florida State, just because he had said that. <laughs> and and uh, then I moved into business management. So I, I graduated with an actual degree in business administration and management and moved to Miami uh, to get a job. And I knew I wanted to be in banking. I knew I would have to start out as a, a management trainee. And at that time, this was when feminism was really gaining ground and you could read Cosmo magazine and it would say, you can do anything you want to do. And I went to Miami believing that was absolutely so. And you know what? It, it really proved to be true because uh, I had to work very hard. I had to go into a more of an entry level position than I wanted to. Um, I had to push to get into the program that I wanted to. Uh, but it worked out very well because uh, I was a branch manager by the time I was 23 years old. And I'd gone through an extensive uh, training program with a savings and loan. And I did very well with that. And I would get promoted because my branches would just take off and grow. And it really came down to just good customer service, but they, they would grow and then I'd get promoted. And I would think, oh my goodness, this is a mistake. This isn't going to happen again. That was just a fluke, but I kept being very successful and kept getting promoted. And then I went from savings and loan into commercial banking because that's where the real career path was. And I was just very lucky that for so long, um, hard work, a lot of hard work, but I kept rising in the ranks. Uh, I worked in the largest commercial bank in Miami. There were 7,000 employees and, uh, there were only 280 vice presidents, uh, and I was one of them at the age of 28. And so I had really done well and was making money and built a portfolio and bought a condo. And, and I had all of that going on. Um, but like a lot of women in banking in the 70s and 80s and 90s, I had to overcome a lot of sexism and professional jealousy. Um, but that was fine. It was just all part of the environment. And then I got married in 1988 and I was still happy being in banking. I was making a lot of money, doing well, and I was fulfilled. But at the same time, I knew that there was another path I should be on. And I found that uh, when one day, it was July of 89, and I was reading the Miami Herald. And it was about a Supreme, a Supreme Court decision and that was really the first crack in Roe v. Wade. Now, I, I've been a lifelong feminist, so I was always interested in these things that affected women's lifestyles. And it wasn't, uh, it, there was an article and the governor of the state had said in the article that he was gonna call a special session of the legislature to start enacting these more restrictive abortion regulations right away. And I thought, you son of a gun. What if you had a mistress and she got pregnant? How would you feel about abortion then? <laughs> and at that moment, I knew that was a book I had to write. And so I really wanted to explore that scenario 
but I stayed in banking for the next two years, although I was writing the book in my head. But between my job and traveling so much with my husband for work and pleasure, I just didn't have the time to write the book. But you know, it kept nudging me, it needed to be written. And that's when I realized just how tired I was of the corporate world. Men still held the real power and they tried to keep women from taking it away. And I knew that there were only two women in that huge bank who were even senior vice presidents. And I just didn't want to get on that track. I didn't want to put forth the years of effort it would take to get where they were. I had already achieved enough. And I was tired of wearing high heels every day. <laughs> Seriously, I really wanted to just change my lifestyle. And I was so fortunate to have my husband's encouragement uh, to retire from banking and start doing what I really wanted to do, which was write. And I did. I um, sat down and wrote Moral Infidelity. I was pumped. I turned out 135,000 words in nine months, edited it down, and I thought it was a really good book. So I put it out there in the publishing world. And uh, although it got some great attention and got pretty far in several processes and a big publishing house, the senior editor of subsidiary rights thought it would make a great movie. And, but it died when it got through the final cut of the editorial board. But there were some other avenues and they seemed promising, but then they just got closed off. And so this book that I had written that I had felt was such a good book, it changed my life to write. My goodness, I couldn't get it published. And you know that it was disappointing, as you can imagine. And there was that embarrassment of having resigned from a very good position where I was making a lot of money so that I could write a book. And then the book did not become a success. And that was a, a moment to take stock of my life. I always succeeded at what I did, but I didn't succeed in this. And it was something that meant so much to me, writing. So it took the wind out of my sails for a while, um, but I knew I didn't want to go back to banking because I had just really enjoyed the creative element of writing. And I was in a different place mentally and emotionally. So my husband was very supportive, encouraged me to take some time to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I enjoyed having that time to figure out what I wanted to do next. And I did, I- Can I interrupt one, one second, Rebecca? How old were you at this point? At the point that I did that, I was 34 years old. You're still a baby, okay. I was. Okay. But you were tired <laughs> at 34? Wow, that's amazing. It was really nice to be able to do that. That's uh, extraordinary. Yes. But, you know, I really thought I'd proven a lot already. And it was too much to continue doing without going, trying something that I really wanted to try. So during those years, after I'd said, okay, I'm shelving this book, I guess I'm not meant to be a writer. Um, I did all the things that I would ever want to do. You know, when you stop working, and it, especially in a big city like Miami and where everyone says, what do you do? You don't have anything you can really say. So I started saying, 
well, pretty much anything I want to do. And it was true. I explored so many other things. I I got very involved in, in philanthropic causes. I got on the whole charity ball circuit, uh, the symphony, the ballet, the opera. Um, I took some ballet classes as an adult. I take them as a child. It just was great for me. It centered me. It made me strong physically. Um, but that was when my mother started having health problems during that decade. And she had always had health problems, but she had had two heart attacks and two open heart surgeries. And, and she had other vascular surgeries and hospitalizations and bronchitis and pneumonia. And because I wasn't working, I was taking care of all this. I would drive the hundred miles from Miami to where they lived and take her to all of her appointments and be there for every operation and recovery. And so it, it became a way of life very much just started caregiving for my mother. Um, and when she passed, uh, my father started having problems and he had, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's and dementia, actually Alzheimer's, which is a form of dementia. And he also had diabetes, just a number of problems, but he was still functioning well. So he moved into a very lovely assisted living and I oversaw all of his care uh, for years. Now we had, we had built a home, a second home in North Carolina during those years I was taking care of mother. And um, so dad lived in Florida for a while, but then I moved him to North Carolina uh, where I could be near him uh, and, and oversee all of his care. He had broken a hip. The doctor had called me and said, operation went well, but he has probably less than a year to live. And I thought, no, that's not good enough. And that's why I moved him close to me and stayed very involved in all of his care, which is much of that is in the book, the kind of care that he needed. Um, but uh, it was very rewarding for me. And it took a lot of years, nine years, and a great deal of effort and a great deal of caring and loving and watching everything and pulling him back from the brink time and again and operations and medication and therapies. It was just managing all that. And it, it worked very well because dad didn't die within a year. He lived five more years and um, beyond that. So actually six. And so it was a great time for me. And I learned a lot. And then when he passed, um, I had flailed for a little bit in terms of what now, because my life had been so taken up with uh, taking care of my dad. And I was very fortunate to have a husband who understood that thousands of hours that I put into it were something I just needed to be doing. And so when that was over, you kind of stop and go, oh, gee, my purpose for being here and getting up every day is, is not there any longer. Now what? And that's when I thought the book I had written about the anti-abortion governor, that's when self-publishing was happening. And I thought, I'm going to bring that book out and publish it. And it was a real learning curve for me because I had not been on social media. I was not prepared in any way for that aspect of self-publishing. So I studied how to do that before I actually published the book. And I had someone create a, a website and I learned about all the 
different places where you needed to be. Uh, you needed to be technically proficient. You needed to be active. You needed to learn uh, how to interact properly and which ones were the most uh, beneficial for what you hoped to do. So I became more technically proficient um, working with the, the man who built my website. And then I self-published the book and it, it did well. It, it got some attention. It won some awards um, and that, that was gratifying. So I had written another book somewhere over the years and I published that next and it did well. I, I got lots of five-star reviews on my books. I will say it was, it was really gratifying. Um, and I knew I knew then that, okay, I'm a writer. And then I wrote a third book. It was a self-help book for women uh, who were seeking healthy relationships. And during this time, I started writing for HuffPost. And my articles, being a feminist, tended towards feminist issues, as did my books, and then political issues, because we were moving into the election cycle, the 2016 election cycle. And so I stopped writing books because I was so busy delving into this whole political scene. And then when Hillary Clinton was not elected, the first woman president, I was just rather gobsmacked. And I, I actually couldn't write for a while. I lost my voice and it took me some time to realize. And, and here's something interesting, if I may say, when I was thinking about how to say, how did you get into writing My Dad, My Dog? I walked over to my bookshelf a couple of days ago and pulled out a journal. And I just happened to turn to write where I made the entry, where I had decided that um, there was something I knew very well and something that, um, this is what I wrote in my journal. There is one place I am mighty where I could fight for good, where my compassion and intuition and strong sense of justice can make a difference. And I really believed that. I had to get to that point to believe that I was the person who should be speaking about caregiving. I'd done it for 14 years for my parents. And, um, and I wrote that there was a desire to reach out to the world and its burden of dementia and caregiving and to bring people together with resources and support and empathy, and give them value. And I wanted to lift up these people who become in-home caregivers. And I know they feel scared and I wanted to find a way to let them know that they're noticed and they're cared for and they have value and they're entitled to have all, all the support they need to do this very difficult job. So I wrote my dad, my dog, and I created a world where people could, um, through reading a heartwarming novel with likable characters, um, they could learn more about the challenges of in-home caregiving. And I wanted this book to serve as a platform uh, to give me an opportunity through radio shows and podcasts like this and blogging and writing articles about the need for compensation for in-home caregivers. Um, most people don't 
realize that there are so many caregivers in this country, unpaid fam family caregivers. Um, right now, there are about 53 million Americans who provide care without pay to ailing or aging loved ones. And they do it for an average of 24 hours a week. And there's a great toll on, on this kind of um, caregiving. Uh, there's expense that you have that you might not expect to have. And when you're doing your caregiving, and there's also people, people can't, they can lose their job. They don't, uh, they have to take time off from work. They can't handle the load of caregiving and running a home and having a job. And there are a lot of cracks that they fall through. And so when you think about that, that almost one sixth of the country's population is taking on caregiving in some capacity. And that unless your loved one is a veteran, there's just no financial compensation for doing one of the most difficult jobs anyone's gonna ever have to do. So this is where I started out and what I wanted to accomplish in writing this book and related articles and blogs. But it's interesting in a sad way that it's coincided with the coronavirus because I think it's really illuminated the need for caregiving and caregivers. And one thing that's happening right now, I follow these groups on Facebook that um, people are taking their loved ones out of long-term care facilities, which is what I did in the book. My dad, my dog took my dad out of the facility, moved him into my home. This is happening for real right now because they're afraid their loved one is going to die, catch COVID and die, or that the isolation is going to kill them. And people are taking on this job like never before. And I, it's, it's, it's love. It's just love and caring that is making them do it. But now what? So here we are. And I, I would like to say that President-elect Biden does have um, a part of his economic plan proposes uh, spending $775 billion over the next decade to uh, improve the care for ch the children and elderly and disabled. And he understands that this is a, a, an important part of our society and a cornerstone of our medical uh, establishment. He says that we are trapped in a caregiving crisis within an economic crisis, within a healthcare crisis. So it's interesting to me at this time that this book has been published and coronavirus has made it evident how much we need to have caregivers in all capacities who are compensated and treated well and appreciated. And here we are, this is where we find ourselves today and I hope to continue to raise awareness about this. And that's where I wrote it because it came from something I experienced firsthand. And I'm gratified that it, there's nothing good that came from the coronavirus. There is absolutely right. nothing good. But if it can raise uh, awareness about this issue, then that is one good thing that could come from it. Question for you, Rebecca. Um, is now, are you 
publishing, first of all, did you publish this yourself or is this, no, this is, is this self-published? No, no. Uh, my publisher is Black Rose Writing, a small um, boutique uh, publisher, um, has some excellent authors. And I wanted to have a publisher in this regard because I really wanted to, if you're self-published, you can't go as many places as you can as you, if a publishing house um, publishes your book. And I wanted to have that solid base behind me so that I could then be doing more in terms of PR and what we're doing right now and know that the publisher was tending to that and giving me marketing support, uh, which I would need to do what I was doing. And question for you, are you, where are you putting all this information about, because I'm, I'm actually thinking there are so many places um, on Covey we should talk about that you could put some of this information. We have a caregivers collective inside one of our apps um, because there are many people facing exactly what you're talking about. I'm so glad you know about this. I, I guess I must tell you, I did not know that there yeah. was a, that on your I'm delighted to hear that. Yeah, this is it's a, a big issue. You do understand how big an issue. Age. Yes, it yep. is. Yeah, I'm so glad that you decided to write about it. And um, so we'll talk about that. But I just want to finish your switch. Did you ever look back or you had just sort of made enough money so you were comfortable? Because obviously making money is an issue for a lot of people. That Especially you writers to make a switch. Yes, because <laughs> writing doesn't always pay off. Let's really be honest about it. Sometimes, <laughs> occasionally, but a lot of times, a lot of times it's a labor of love, right? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Okay. Yes. No, I I had done well. I my husband when he married me, I had my own portfolio. I owned real estate. I, I, I saved money. Uh, I had good bonuses, good salary. So, but on top of that, I was very fortunate that he. Um, he also uh, did well. He was an international corporate attorney and he was always just very supportive in every way. Uh, the time, the time away from him while doing the caregiving, the money, because we did end up paying privately for my father for a number of years when his money ran out and um, dad didn't qualify for Medicaid. So there was that huge amount of money that went out over the years to have him in a facility. Uh, in a private room. And so, yeah, I had a really nice cushion that a lot of people don't have. And when you have that kind of support, you, you really get to spread your wings a lot more. So but, before we, before we close here, um, what's the, what are the one or two things that you would want um, your listener to learn from you at this point? I think that it's really good if you have in mind anything else that you want to do. You're not happy in that corporate world. You're not happy and you know that there's something better for you. I would start journaling. Journaling is one of the most revealing ways uh, to discover yourself. And you can go back to just like I went back in this one and realized when I had to write the book. And I think that's very important. And I think another thing and I'm so glad that there is going to be a, a seminar on this this weekend, Leslie. Um, I have always done vision boards and I'm very much in the in, in belief in the power of vision boards and the clarity it gives you a direction. And um, 
I think the other thing is whatever you're going to do, do your homework. Make sure that you you know what the rudiments are, you know what the hard parts are, and that you're willing to learn to do those things, put the time and energy into it and go into it with that confidence that you're going to succeed because you've got the goods, you've got the knowledge. So between all of those things, journaling and becoming technically proficient and knowledgeable and uh, creativity, um, you can get where you want to go. Can you talk a little bit about, have you used a vision board for what you're doing? I have, yes. Can and you talk just briefly about that? Because I really do believe it's an incredible tool and I'm amazed at how many people are doing it and they're not just in the creative fields either. Oh, no, no. My creative, my vision board is, it starts out where I see things categorically and then it expands with other things that are happening in my life the way things come into your life, paths that you didn't see before or this right person who does something and it might change it just somewhat. And then you adjust your vision board. And I look for the right pictures and I've cut things out of magazines and I print things out and there are words that, that inspire me. And there are, there's, the, there's the picture of my book being on the New York Times bestseller list right in the middle of it. <laughs> that I had somewhat a fiber put together. So it, it, it looks authentic, but this is what do I have to do to get here? Often when you visualize being there, I find that paths are opened up to you. Do you find that to be true? That's why we're doing a vision board event. <laughs> I'm so excited but, about that. I'm you should up come. Oh, you I, did? I, oh, you should oh, come. Yes. Awesome. Yes. That's wonderful. Love oh. to have you. That's oh. great. I think it's great. You're doing it. And I, I had no training. This will be great that you're doing it because it gives people an idea of how to do it right. And I think that's very important. So good. Right. So I do, do those things. Things are very important to success. You must believe that you can do it and the world will, will, will help you find your way. Great. Well, I think that's a great place for us to end. Rebecca, thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, and I'm sure I know nice. we are going to spend a lot more time together because there's about 20 things in here that are connected to Covey Club. So I want everybody oh, to go find um, your book, My Dad, My Dog. I assume you can find it everywhere. Is that Everywhere. Right? Yes. It's on every, every, your favorite bookseller has it. Great. And so thank um, you for that. This is wonderful. And we hope to see you around the club. That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm looking forward to it also. Thank you, Leslie. Thank you for inviting me. So thank you for joining us at Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. And I'm so pleased that you are here to listen to Rebecca because boy, so many of us have to take care of our elders or children or somebody nearby who needs our help, our care. We need reform in this area, we know that. But at the moment, we have to do what we gotta do. So I think it's a wonderful conversation. If you enjoy this conversation and if you're in the caregiving area or taking care of a parent or a child, we have a wonderful caregiver collective on the Covey Club app where you can go and get support. You can air your views. You can talk to other women who are going through the same thing. 
join the club. It's really fantastic. You will meet like-minded women just like you who are trying to navigate this next stage of life. And we're really excited about what we have for 2021. Hopefully at the second half of 2021, we're gonna bring back some of our trips so you can actually meet in person. But up until then, we're doing three classes a week where you can learn how to do everything from your LinkedIn better to, gosh, how to organize your digital life to DIY beauty and anything that you wanna know about being over the age of 40. Because look, it's fabulous, but it ain't easy. So come join us at CoveyClub.com. And if you like this podcast, please, 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 please pass it along to friends, leave us a comment and give us some stars and subscribe. We would love to have you listen on a more regular basis, share this with people who need this information, this inspiration and these tips and tricks. And we hope to see you next time. Take care.